Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Virgil Train. And no, those were not the familiar guitar tones of Kyle McNeil from Seven Sisters, who wrote the theme music for Feckin' Metal. That was in fact a cover version of a horselip song called On Jarek Doom, and it was covered by the band Slaufeg. I am going to be interviewing the bassist from Slaufeg, Adrian Maestas, later in the show, but before I get to that interview, I would like to discuss some heavy metal news and amusings. So, we're in the year 2020, as everyone is well aware, but 2020 marks the 40th anniversary of the year 1980, and 1980 was a seminal year for hard rock and heavy metal albums. You had the likes of Iron Maiden releasing their debut album, Judas Priest releasing British Steel, you had Ozzy Osbourne releasing Blizzard of Oz, you had Motorhead releasing Ace of Spades, Black Sabbath releasing Heaven and Hell, and many others as well. It was a seminal year for hard rock and heavy metal. But as a result of that, all of these albums are now celebrating their 40th anniversary. So you've got Ace of Spades being released in a special 40th anniversary edition. Uh, Iron Maiden's self-titled album being released in a special 40th anniversary edition as well. And it brings me back to a conversation I had with Jarvis Leatherby on the last episode of Feckin' Metal, where we were talking about the fact that Iron Maiden don't really include studio outtakes or they don't include things that made the cutting room floor as you know b-sides or extra songs on their reissued albums and you know we discussed at the time they've been reissuing the same albums since the 1990s but there's never anything new or there's never anything different and at this point i'd like to reflect on a conversation i had with nesbitt from talking maiden and from the night demon heavy metal podcast and we were talking back and forth and we were saying we know iron maiden have been recording all of their tours since the Somewhere Back in Time tour in 1986. That's that's in the public domain. They've spoken about this. Steve Harris has spoken about this. And it, it like it ties in with the conversation with Jarvis as well. When are the likes of Iron Maiden, when are they going to open the vault? Let us hear the live albums. Let us hear the soundboard recordings from the likes of the Somewhere Back in Time tour or the X Factor or from the Virtual Eleven tour or from a Matter of Life and Death from 2006. These are all shows that have been recorded and are in the vault for Iron Maiden, but we don't get to hear them. You have the likes of Neil Young, who has the Neil Young Archives application at the moment, and you can subscribe for $20 a year. You get access to all sorts of unreleased music. You get access to all sorts of unreleased live albums, video, etc. A band like Iron Maiden, who are celebrating their 40th anniversary this year, to me, as a fan, that would be Mana from heaven, to use a phrase from the feckin' check-in recently. There's so much good and quality material. And even if you're just talking about live material, I'm not talking about songs that didn't make albums, just even live material in general, that's available, ready to go, presumably. All they would have to do is just polish it up in the studio maybe a bit. To Iron Maiden fans who are some of the most dedicated heavy metal fans in the universe, that would be just such a gift to give at this juncture and I just hope in the future rather than releasing Legacy of the Beast video games like I talked about with Jarvis maybe someday soon Iron Maiden will release what's in the vault because we all know it's there okay so moving on from Iron Maiden uh, this is obviously the 40th year anniversary of the album Ace of Spades by Motorhead and that in itself is another seminal album in the uh, genre of hard rock and heavy metal and Motorhead themselves have obviously been inactive since Lemmy died in 2015, but the Motorhead estate is very active and constantly releasing products and various different things that you can avail of if you follow the Motorhead Facebook page or if you 
generally are a fan of Motorhead. You can get your own personalized T-shirt uh, with your name in the Motorhead font or whatever. But I would like to go back to a album that's not very well spoken about or it's not very much spoken about. That's Overnight Sensation, which celebrated its uh, 24th anniversary yesterday. And my favorite song from that album is Don't Believe a Word. So I'm just going to play a bit of Don't Believe a Word now for a second. So that was Motorhead, Don't Believe a Word. Uh, controversially, I kind of connect with the 90s Motorhead albums and the 2000s Motorhead albums maybe a bit more than the 80s ones and the 70s ones that everyone is a much bigger fan of. I don't know why specifically that is, but I think it's because I probably got into Motorhead in the 2000s. So albums like Kiss of Death and albums like Overnight Sensation and Snakebite Love, they seemed closer to my area of fandom than things that were released, you know, 30 years before I started getting into the band. So uh, I think there are a lot of deep cuts on those albums that are well worth listening to. And if you like that song by Motorhead, I suggest you investigate their back catalogue, the likes of those albums I've mentioned, and just generally anything after 1985, 86 uh, with Motorhead, it's, it's, often dismissed as you know well it's a different band but you know they had excellent albums march or die bastards i could go on all day sacrifice give them a listen if you like that song and let me know what you think at feckin checkin at gmail.com or at feckin checkin on twitter okay so moving on um another band i've been listening to recently are the well you could say it's a band but that would be incorrect it's really a solo project and it's called oath and that is from Stephen Waddell, or Waddle, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, and he's from Scotland. Uh, so Oath has released a EP and a full album, um, both of which are available on Bandcamp, and I would strongly advise listening to them if you're a fan of the new wave of British heavy metal, or that kind of sound. Uh, the Oath albums, or the, the, the Oath EP and the Oath album, uh, the EP in particular sounds like something that's lo-fi, 
you know, it's home produced. You've got Stephen Waddell, he's producing the album himself and he's playing every instrument on, on, on sorry, he's pl- playing every instrument on the EP himself as well. But uh, that was released in 2018. But by the time you got to Legacy in 2019, which is a full album, which is again available on Bandcamp, the progression in songwriting and production and everything is just miles ahead of the EP from 2018. And as an interesting tidbit, He's currently recording and writing and producing another album with uh, Trevor William Church from Haunt. And Trevor is actually going to provide backing vocals, production um, services, and uh, he's going to do the drumming on the next Oath release. So I'd recommend if you're a, if you're a fan of the new wave of British heavy metal and you're looking for some new bands to listen to, go and investigate Oath. Have a look on their Bandcamp page. And if you're feeling generous, maybe buy the EP or buy the album. The EP, I think, is about two or three pounds to buy. And the album is name your price. So, you know, give them whatever you think or give him uh, whatever you think it's worth. But they're definitely a good listen. Um, okay, so that's probably going to do it for the heavy metal news and insight from me for this week. So I'm just going to take you right now to the interview I recently did with uh, Adrian Maestas of Slaufeg. Okay, so we have Adrian from Slaufeg here. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Thanks very much for joining me today. Hey, yeah, good times. Uh, I wanted to ask you, is it Maestas or Maestas? How do you pronounce your surname? Uh, Maestas. Maestas, sorry. Okay, all right. I uh, just wanted to get that clear. Um, so Adrian is the bassist. And again, I wanted to ask, is it Slaufeg or Slaufeg? Because I always say Slough, and I've always said Slough. Slough, Okay, yeah. because I... I've heard people like uh, Martin Popoff saying Slowfeg, and uh, then it confuses me because I've always said Slough, because Slough is like a place in England, obviously. A lot of people I, say, di- say it different ways. It doesn't matter. The The most funny thing to me is that um, when you go to like the record stores or you look online or something, instead of it being under S for Slough or for L for Lord Weird, it's under T for The Lord Weird Slowfeg. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd read this before. And that, did that actually lead into you changing the name from the Lord Weird to just Slaufeg? Um, No, because we always just kind of called it Slaufeg. You know, we never call ourselves Lord Weird Slaufeg. That's just something we put on the records. And then I think uh, after um, after Traveler, yeah. we did uh, just Slaufeg. And that wasn't really any... Um, it wasn't really like a conscious decision. We just kind of, on when the day came to for the record company to say, "Hey, what do you want me to put on the record?" We just said, "I ah, just use Slave," and it made this big, it made this big thing. Not every interview we ever do is like <laughs> if we would have known if we would have known twenty years ago that it was going to cause that much of a, a, a ruckus, then uh, maybe we would have stuck with the Lord Weird Slave. <laughs> yeah. One thing I have noticed, actually, in the likes of Spotify, you've got two profiles. You've got the Lord Weird Slaufeg, and then you've got Slaufeg. So there's two different places you have to go to look at your music. Is that really? anything you have? Yeah, yeah. So if I want to look up Traveller, for example, I have to look up the Lord Weird Slaufeg. But if I wanted to look up Digital Resistance, I have to look up Slaufeg. So there's two different places on Spotify to get the music. Uh, yeah, and, you know, we don't have any idea how to fix any of that stuff. Yeah. But do you know what was funniest to me is that your your current or your more your most recent album uh, was released under the name The Lord Weird Slaufeg, yet it's in the Slaufeg section of Spotify rather than the other section. So it's just, <laughs> it's, all, <laughs> it's all over the place. I don't know how that, I don't know how that stuff works, man. I, I don't know how to upload to Spotify or iTunes or anything like that. 
Yeah, no, that's fair enough. It's like it's obviously out of your control, but I just think it's funny. Um, but I mean, I think if you know where to look or you know what you're looking for, you'll find it pretty easily. So it's not a huge issue. Um, okay. So I just wanted to ask, how have you been over the last few months? Obviously, the world is in lockdown. Um, how has that affected your life? Well, we're alive. We have not, we have not had band practice since uh, March sixth. Okay. So there's absolutely no um, Slavic activity other than uh, our own podcast that we've been doing. Um, we do actually um, have, while, while we were, uh, Mike and I are the only ones really showing up these days. And um, so we were looking through some old tape reels and we found a couple of things and uh, I'll be putting out, I'm, I'm putting out a, a compilation, a COVID compilation because the, the building where we rehearse is, um, it's been around since like the sixties and there's about, I think, uh, I think there's maybe 40 rooms where just all band rehearsals. So, um, so I decided, you know, maybe we should put something out about what all these people have been doing during COVID. So we're putting out a, a 14 track compilation and Slaufeg has two tracks on there. Um, one of them's a cover, one of them's an original and basically, these are things that we've had just kind of laying around unfinished for a while that we decided to finish them during COVID and put them on this compilation. And um, that should be coming out within the next month or two on uh, on our own Berry Sausage label. Brilliant. Okay. And the rest of the bands are, are people who rehearse in the same rehearsal space as you, is it? Or um, the, the rest of the bands, yeah. There's, there's 12 other bands that are on their... All different styles, punk rock, um, acoustic ballad, some electronic music. Uh, There's a couple of actually really good bands that I never knew were in our same building. And so it's actually been um, somewhat of a, uh, you know, getting to know your neighbor. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Very good. Kind of thing. And And that's really, I think, you know, since we're going through all this corona stuff, I mean, we really are getting to know our neighbors because that's by the virtue of proximity, they are in our bubble. Yes. Yeah. You know? True. Um, so uh, is are you going to go down the traditional route of vinyl or CD? Or A lot of people are releasing cassettes these days as well, I've noticed. Or, or how do you plan to release that? Um, we released a cassette of our last album, New Organon, mm. and um, the cassettes didn't really sell too many. Yeah. So, so no, no cassettes. It's just probably going to be CD and and streaming. You know, I'm going to have to figure out how to do um, Spotify, Pandora, <laughs> iTunes yeah. and stuff. Jeez, with multiple you bands know? on that one, God knows where it would end up. Yeah. Probably under El- yeah, so, Elvis or something. I, right, right. But, you know, it's a learning experience. You know, it's it gives me something like, you know, when I, um, when I put this out and I actually figure out how to stream it and, and do the publishing on it and stuff – then uh, then that's just one more thing that I have in my toolbox. Exactly, yeah. So you mentioned the podcast. You've been doing a podcast for a while now. I think it's around 14 episodes or something like that at the moment. Uh, we just put out episode 16. 16, it's sorry. Called, it's called Slaufeg Radio. It's wherever podcasts are sold. Um, that was a challenge, figuring that one out too, man. Because as you know, um, if you have a podcast, you know all these different websites want you to pay for it like to, to host your podcast and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, no way, man. Slough too cheap to 
pay for that stuff. You know, <laughs> we we already because we already have our own domain. Yeah, you know, we already have all of our own internet storage thing. You know, so I was like, there's got to be a way that we could just host it ourselves without having to pay for it because all these sites like. You know, if you want to, if you have a podcast that's longer than like 20 minutes, they want to charge you, you know, so many euros per month or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, no way, man, I'm not paying for that because I know that Mike and I can talk for a long time. <laughs> so, uh, so that was one of the things that I had to figure out how to, how to build, host and distribute our own podcast. And uh, it wasn't really difficult it was just finding the right information on how to do it but uh but now it's up there for people to listen to we're getting a lot of good feedback um our latest episode has our uh, our old drummer harry cantwell yeah he came he came in for a uh a special guest um appearance thing we're, uh, our next episode we're going to try and do is um is is and maybe i can get your opinion on this um Really, what is the essential difference between shredding and wanking? Uh, well, one of them on the guitar. Well, okay, all right, sorry. Okay, I thought you meant literally on the, on the guitar. <laughs> on the guitar. Let's not get too. Let's not get too personal here. I was going to say one of them produces music and the other produces something else. Um, but okay, sh- <laughs> uh, shredding and wanking. I, I suppose shredding is um, not particularly showing off but uh, showing you have a certain level of skill and ability on the guitar and wanking, I suppose, is playing excessively to the point where it becomes less impressive the more you keep doing it. Oh, that's a, that's, that's a good one. I, I gotta, I gotta remember that here. I gotta write that down. So wanking is less impressive the more you do it. I mean, that's just off the top of my head. <laughs> no, that's good. I like that. I like that. That's good. These are things that, uh, you know, because like I said, that's going to be our next episode. So I'll be able to kind of put some stuff in there, that, you know. Sounds good. So so the podcast is mainly you and Mike with guests sometimes, and it's uh, you two talking back and forth, but also playing lots of um, heavy metal that you like, kind of underground stuff. Um, is that the kind of general gist of it? Yeah, basically, we're just playing records. And um, it started because the... Uh, um, there's a website called Gimme Radio, and it's like a heavy metal streaming site. It's free. It's amazing. It's really good. And um, they contacted us because they said that they were doing um, like special guest DJ things for bands that were uh, adversely affected by the COVID. And of course, you know, our entire summer tour got canceled. All the festivals got canceled, everything. So, so we said, sure. You know, we said, you know, what, what do you, what do you want us to do? And they said, oh, just, you know, play some music and talk about it. We were like, okay, we could, that's shit. We'd do that for hours, you know? And then, so the first thing, the, really the first episode of our podcast was for the Guinea radio, um, um, guest DJ spot. And of course, Mike and I went way over the time that we were supposed to do. We talked too much and we played too much music, which is pretty much the definition of Slaufeg, you know? <laughs> so, um, so we were like, okay, so we did that for, for, we did that for them. And then we were like, well, you know, I got a lot of records. Mike has a lot of records. We could sit around and talk for hours. 
and so we said, why not? Let's let's do that. So um, we've been getting get together maybe once every couple of weeks, and really just sitting around playing music, uh, playing playing some of our favorite records, and just talking about it. We have a, a new segment on the podcast that we call uh, Heavy Metal Unboxing. Yeah. Because um, we've been telling people, like, because some people have been emailing us, like, you know, like, oh, you know, you should play my band or, you know, how do I get my band on there? And I was like, well, just send us a copy of your record. And they're like, oh, can I just send you a, a, an MP3? And we're like, no. We said, no, it has to be physical media. Yeah. So we started uh, telling people our P.O. box, our post office box to send to. And sure enough, we started getting packages in the mail with records and CDs and cassettes and just from all over the place. So now instead of opening them up uh, before the podcast, we're doing it on, on the air. So when we're recording the podcast, we'll actually open it up, you know, look at it, and talk about it and play some of the rec- whatever com- came in the parcel. And uh, and that's a segment on our show now. So brilliant, and it, it's so actually it's in, so impersonal receiving something like an MP3, like uh, as opposed to an actual physical product. I've actually got more back into physical media myself in the last couple of years, just buying vinyl and stuff like that. And the yeah. difference is, like, I was actually just looking through some Slaufeg CDs before this, just to kind of refamiliarize myself with things and all, and just even flicking through the booklets and looking at the back and looking at all the lyrics and things. Like, it brought me back to a, a better time, I think, in my music fandom. Um, whereas now I'm more uh, digital, you know, more Spotify and that type right. of stuff. But um, there's a certain magic to the physical aspect of it that has definitely been lost over the last few years, I think, anyway. And that's something that Mike and I talk about on the podcast all the time. Yeah. Because, you know, we talk about when we were kids growing up and how we discovered, you know, things and, you know, how we discovered certain bands. And and it's always because, like, you know, uh, you know, Billy from school showed up one day and he had a copy of scum from napalm death right and so we all went over to billy's house or uh or actually we went to the multimedia lab at the school and we put on the copy of scum and turned it up as loud as we can go and and just made everybody upset and changed all of our lives forever (laughs) you know so um yeah, you know the record I'm talking about, Napalm Death. Scum. I, do you know what? I don't actually. I'm not a fan, but um, I am aware of the, what they're like. I'm okay, aware so of the early, how they, how they early sound. eighties, uh, early eighties, Nap- uh, mid eighty. I don't know, eighty four, eighty five, something like that. Um, uh, Napalm Death released Scum, which was the fir- well to uh, to us, to me and my friends, it was the first record we ever heard that had blast beats, and so that just that just blew our minds, man. You know, and but that was something where, like I said, my friend brought the record to school. We went to the multimedia lab and put it on the little tiny record players they had with just one little speaker. And we turned the volume as loud as it can go. And that was like that was our that was our 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 physical introduction to to really like brutal heavy metal. You know, we all knew about Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and all that stuff back then. That was no problem. But getting something that was just so over the top, man, you know, and then uh, and then another thing that we used to do is, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So when we wanted some records, sometimes uh, we'd go to the record store and, you know, my friend Jesse would have maybe four dollars and 
I would have maybe $5 and somebody else would have $3 and we'd buy a record. We'd buy a Misfits record that, that none of us had. And then who so, kept it then? Well, we, we, you know, Jesse kept it for a week. I got it for a week. The other guy kept it for a week and we just kind of rotated it. Well, who has it now? That's the real question. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have some of those. I, 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 I walked away with some of them. I walked away with, um, what was it? A, uh, it was a German, it was a German pressing of evil live from the misfits. When the misfits came out with evil live, there was a, a German pressing that had the same song order and everything, but it was, uh, it had a different cover art and everything. And so, um, that was something that, you know, we had to pay, we had to pay, big bucks for that one. I don't remember how much it was, but it was a, it was an import. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I grew up in Los Angeles. And so at the time it was an import. And so like the, the punk rock import section, we were like, Whoa. So we put our money together and we, mm. we, you know, we took it over to my house cause my parents had a really good sound system. And, and so we cranked it up, you know, and I think I, I, I kept that one. That was one of the ones I kept. Yeah. Kept so, the, you kept the German import one. Good thinking. I kept the German import, and so you know, like I said, I think um, one of the ones that I wish I would have kept was when um, again Misfits uh, when the Die Die My Darling came out. Yeah, um, we we bought like the first one of the first ones, the first pressing that came out of that. We bought it, and we were like, "Oh man, this is great." And now I look on like eBay or Discogs or whatever, and it's like a, a three hundred dollar, three hundred euros record. Right. I reckon you, you're, you're probably holding on to that one, though, are you? No, I didn't get to keep that. Oh, you didn't get to keep that one. No, <laughs> that's one of the ones I didn't get to keep. <laughs> oh God. Oh, my well. friend Jesse has that one. Okay, good stuff. Yeah, so good memories there. Um, on the first episode of this, actually, I spoke to my friend. This is only like episode six now, but I spoke to my friend who's like big heavy metal fan as well. We grew up together and we were just going back through memories of being in um, like music shops and just looking at covers of bands that we were too afraid to buy. Like so back then it was like Iron Maiden and bands like Iced Earth and stuff. And we'd pick up the albums and we'd look at the, the images on it and we'd be like, oh no, they're too heavy. We're not ready for that yet. We'll come back to that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> But we, we we did graduate there eventually. But uh, yeah, there's great memories with the actual physically buying stuff, like which is kind of it's a bit of a distant memory now. Like, but um, I wanted to say, um, so I, I said to you briefly before we started recording. I saw you the last time I saw you. Actually, the only time I saw Slowfeg was in um in Dublin in 2016, and it was in a place called On the Rocks. Um, and it was uh, it was you and Mike and Angelo, and then you had a drummer called Addison at the time. I think he's gone though now. Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, he's. Uh now he's now one of the former members. Yeah, one of the many increasing. He's now one of the former, former members, members of Slavig, but uh, but he's a cool, dude. You know, we've um, Slavig has the thing like um, like a Spinal Tap, where we just we go through drummers left and right, you know. And um, right now we've got a really cool guy, and uh, he's uh, he's been doing great, and the. Um, his name is Farley, Farley Miller, and he joined us in um, probably about October, November of last year. Right. And uh, we had our first show on February 23rd. Of last year? Of this year. Of this year, sorry, okay. 
This year, we had 2020, our first show with our new drummer, was February 23rd. We were scheduled to uh, to get on a plane and go to, I think we were going to Greece. Right. Like in a few weeks. So our first show was February 23rd. And then right after that is when COVID hit. Yeah. And everything got canceled. And we were like, you know, we, we had this guy. He's he's a great drummer. He's been playing really well with us. You know, we had the whole set ready. You know, we were like running on all cylinders, you know, firing hard. And we had our, our we had our first show with them. The show went great. You know, we got good reviews. We were like, all right, cool. You know, our friends who had seen us a bunch of times, they were like, oh, man, this, drum, this new drummer guy is great, you know. Mm. And then, uh, and then the COVID hit, and we haven't seen him since. God, it just, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's such terrible timing. Yeah, like uh, anyone I've spoken to, like recently in the last few weeks, has has had gigs cancelled and festivals cancelled. But that's even worse time when you've just introduced a new drummer. So I was going to mention the uh, the drummers thing. I actually had a note here about uh, Spinal Tap. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I don't suppose any of them died in an unfortunate gardening accident, or. <laughs> Um, not yet. We're, we're hoping that that won't happen, uh, unless they have some sort of, uh, um, unfortunate carpentry accident. They could be, uh, killed by the hammer of misfortune or something. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Um, so your last album there, you mentioned it, uh, it's called New Organon. It was out last year. And, um, so a lot of this, like I was reading a couple of interviews with Mike around the time it was released and like a lot of it is steeped in philosophy. Obviously he's a, a professor of philosophy himself. Um, I was wondering like, is that an interest that's shared by the band or is that just Mike who's writing the lyrics? Um, it is shared. I was actually, uh, when I went to university in the nineties, I had a minor in philosophy. Okay. And so that's something that Mike and I connected very early on in our relationship and of course, you know, he's much more well-studied on a lot of that stuff. So he can go on and on and on. But, uh, but yeah, it's something that I think, um, you know, and, and even our new drummer, Farley, he's got some interest in that area. And sometimes when we're at band practice or something or we're, you know, in the van traveling around, you know, we get into some pretty deep conversations about uh um, existence and uh, and and just uh, many types of philosophical subjects that come up and and once in a while we go hey we should write a song about that you know and um, and sometimes we do <laughs> yeah well there's plenty of them on that album anyway um, and that was also the first time you've ever sung on an album you sang on the uh, song Uncanny how did you find that experience um, well I mean I've sung on different albums before just not with Slavic. Right. Okay. So other bands I've played with and stuff like that, and uh, but it was fun. I um, that's a song that I had been playing with my other band for quite some time, and uh, when I first brought that song to Slaufeg, um, it didn't quite stick. You know, we, we we tried to do it and we never quite got it together, and then uh, and then I started another band called Hands of Goro. Yes. To, um, to, to kind of, that was kind of an outlet where um, I met a guy named Tom Draper, who's uh, from from London. And uh, I was like, this is, he's a fantastic guitar player. And I was like, I have a lot of songs that just don't fit with Slough Egg for some reason. Right. So, um, so 
he and I got together and we started putting these songs in action. We got a drummer, we started playing shows and, uh, and that's kind of where uncanny came from. And then I think, um, I think, uh, when when Mike and the other guys kind of realized that I had another thing going, they were like, you know, well, well maybe we should work on that song. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe we should work on that song. And I was like, you know, I don't mind playing the same song in both bands. It's fine. In fact, the the Slaufeg version is a little bit different than the Hands of Goro version. Right. It's a little bit shorter, and we cut some parts out of it, and just we did a little bit of editing, and. Um, I said I'm I'm happy to sing songs with different bands, you know, wherever doing what, and still sing with Slaufeg is a good time. I think um, whatever next album we do, I'll probably have a couple of songs on there. So good stuff because I did notice it's it's mainly Mike who gets the writing credits for all the songs. I noticed you had one on um, Magic Hooligan, I think it was back in uh, Digital Resistance, but it's pretty much yeah, Mike. You know, it's. It's different with every song. Some of the songs, uh, he he puts all the writing credit on there because he usually writes the lyrics, you know? Okay. But um, as far as the music goes, uh, oftentimes it could be any one of us that brings in the beginning, the beginning genesis of a song, you know? Um, and then, and it never turns out the same way as when we brought it in because yeah. playing it with the band is, is where is where the, the, the magic kind of happens and the music transforms from from just, you know, uh, uh, an idea that I had on my guitar at home or something. You know, playing it with the band is where it actually turns into a song. And so that's why it's been really difficult during the COVID shutdown for us to come up with any new material because, um, frankly, it's none of it's very inspiring. Yeah. I, I think Mike and I have both been trying to work on some, some new stuff, but... It's it's really not very inspiring, you know. We haven't really had, you know, we haven't really had anything where we're like, oh man, this is going to be a great song, you right? Know? Okay. Because when those when those times, when when those times do happen, it's usually when all four of us are in the same room, and we've got the guitars cranking and everything, and we're just messing around, and then something happens, and we're like, that's that's going to be something, you know, and then we get our little cassette recorder and we you know we record the, the riff or something and then we work on it and over time it becomes a song which inspires other songs and becomes a record so you're telling me that we can't expect an upcoming album called pandemic anytime soon no no like i said there's going to be two songs on the upcoming compilation but other than that we're really not going to write anything until we get the whole band together yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you can you can you can buzz off each other in the same room. Um, it's I'd say it's much more different. Like when you're remotely sending stuff and ideas to one another, you don't have the same energy. Um, that you you can't feed off each other, basically. Yeah, it's 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 just that's not Slaufeg has never been able to do that. Mm. So so that's you know I mean I don't know maybe we'll come up with some acoustic number or something. You know who knows. Yeah. So um, am I right in saying you joined the band in 2001? Was it around that time? Uh, I think it was 2000. 2000, okay. Yeah, um, so 20 so years now. 20 years, Jesus Christ, yeah. Long time. Um, you're the second longest member then in the band. Uh, yeah, only next to Mike. After Mike. And uh, so just in time for the Traveller album, which was out in 2003, which is, I think, probably still most fans' favorite album, or certainly amongst the people that I it's, speak it's to. Up, yeah, most, that's pretty much everybody's favorite album, yeah. 
Um, so I was first introduced to Slaufeg. Uh, I was working in a job at the time where we used to go out drinking on a Friday night um, just to the pub just around the corner. And uh, I was out in the smoking section with a guy I worked with and we were just started talking about music. I usually find like at least one heavy metal fan in every job I work in, but it's usually only one. And, uh, I, bond with, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I bond with that person intensely over music and usually alcohol. And um, we were talking about Iron Maiden and then we started talking about Rainbow and he goes, hey, have you ever heard of Slaufeg? And I was like, come again and he's like slough fag i was like how do you spell that and then he spelled it out to me and i remember writing it down on my phone and i think he was telling me about traveler but i can't remember specifically but i remember writing it down on my phone and uh i looked you up on like uh, amazon and stuff i was like the cds were actually really expensive at the time they're like 25 pounds or something to buy traveler oh, shit. i know yeah um and i i got an i ended up getting an amazon voucher for 50 pounds like for amazon.co.uk which is the one we use and um from my sister for a present so i was like fuck this i'm buying um i'm gonna buy traveler so i bought it and then like a week or two later there was this uh package of traveler uh down among the dead men and twilight of the uh idols yeah uh, twilight of the idols for like three for the same price <laughs> i was like for fuck's oh, sake man. <laughs> oh man <laughs> it was about like a week later but uh and it came up as a, a suggestion from amazon is like based on your purchase history is like fuck you amazon but <laughs> <laughs> oh man that sucks but uh no I, I ended up really enjoying that album um and it's one of my favorites to this day um but i was gonna say it's like um it's quite a, I won't say a risky concept, but it's quite an adventurous concept to base an album on, like a, a role-playing board game from the 1970s. Um, I, I don't think I've, I would have known of any other band who would do that. Uh, you know, when I basically when I first when I first met Mike and Greg at the time, um, Greg was playing drums, and when I first met those guys. One of the things that you know they had just uh, finished um, "Down Among the Dead Men." Yeah, and they were thinking about what the new record was going to be, and I remember just like drinking some beers and uh, Mike just going off about just yapping about this new um, concept album that we were going to write, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know anything about this stuff, but sure, spaceships and dog aliens and mad professors. <laughs> I'm like, I love it. Let's do it. You know, <laughs> and um, there's a video somewhere that I have about with Mike basically talking about the Traveler record before the record came out. Okay, I, I had to find it. It's on a, a video VHS tape somewhere, but it's like he, I mean, he goes off for like ten or fifteen minutes talking about the record that we were going to write. You know, and the re- and the record was Traveler. He was obviously a big fan of this game growing up, I'm guessing. You would have to be nearly to, to write so extensively about it. No, I just think it sounded like a weird idea, and he ran with it. All right. Okay. Yeah. That's even better. <laughs> That's better. It just sounded like it sounded like the craziest idea possible. Like, you know, write a, a sci-fi concept album about a role-playing game that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> that's exactly you know? it, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's exactly what Slaufake should do, right? Exactly. Indeed. Dog Aliens is a great way of putting it. Um, I, I have a, I have a T-shirt of that um, album cover, and uh, when I've worn it out, I've gotten some second glances from people. All right, it's like, what the fuck is that? A dog in a spacesuit? Like, That's our most popular image yeah. that has been created by this band. I mean, that among above and beyond everything, that's the 
everybody, that's the t-shirt that everybody, we went on tour one time without traveler shirts and people were so disappointed. Yeah. And they were like, what, there's no traveler shirts. And I'm like, Hey man, that was like 10 years ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, Oh, well, so they didn't buy anything. And I'm like, we got to make more traveler shirts. It's it's probably a low level version of Iron Maiden going on tour without a number of the B shirt or something like that. You know, there's yeah, still exactly. people who want that. I'd say it's like yeah. for underground metal, I'd say it's an iconic image. Definitely. Yeah. The traveler yeah. logo. People know yeah. what it is. Um, uh, okay, uh, so yeah, that was my first Laufag album. Absolutely loved it. Then I went on to buy several more and then luckily ended up playing in Dublin. And then, for unfortunately, the last time I think he played over here, it was supposed to be a festival and then that ended up being cancelled. But from what I remember reading at the time, you still had your flights booked and everything. So you ended up doing a makeshift gig. It was 2018 and I couldn't go. I was at a wedding. Um, but do you remember the details around that? Or Oh, do I, do I ever? <laughs> um, we were supposed to play at that festival. And, um, in the weeks coming up to the festival, you know, the venue got moved. Um, the guy started saying a a bunch of like, Oh, you know, it's still going to happen, but it's going to be at this place instead, or having problems with this and that. And then literally the day we were getting on the plane to go to Ireland, Mm. I get the text message from the guy saying that the festival is canceled. Yeah. Because we like to get there like a couple days early so that we can uh, acclimate to the, the time change and, and you know, get a chance to sleep after the plane ride and, and also just, you know, hang out with you guys and, and go to a local pub. But, um, but yeah, so that thing got, that thing got canceled. And then luckily, um, uh, Brian from uh, Invictus Records he, uh, was already, he already had uh, like a death metal show that he was doing at, um, what's the name of that? The Maybe Academy, I think. Is it the Academy? No, not the Academy. the Academy? No. It was, jeez, uh, I have to look it up. Um, let me see if I can find that so I can get you accurate information. Um, it was... At the Voodoo Lounge, maybe? Uh, yeah, Voodoo Lounge. Ah. That was it. Mm. And so he had a... Um, the Voodoo Lounge is the one that's at the end of an alley. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's a, I think that's on the rocks. It's around the back of the Voodoo Lounge, which you played before. Um, although they're part of the same complex, actually. So it yeah, it was the matter. same. It was, it was yeah, it was the same place. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they um, he had he had a, a death metal show lined up already, and he said that he had he had some idea that that festival might might not happen yeah so so he left some time on there just in case so he only booked a few bands but he had the whole night and so he uh, he had some of the bands from the festival that got canceled he immediately booked them onto his show that saturday night and uh, and that was um i mean that was great for us but um the the guy who put on the festival that dude still owes us money so yeah, he, yeah. He never paid us because we paid for our own plane tickets because he guaranteed us all this money that once we showed up, you know, that mm. we were gonna. That he was. He, he was. So we we're like, okay, we've got this festival that's basically gonna pay for our plane tickets. So we bought the plane tickets. We showed up. But, you know. 
So the guy, the guy's name actually escapes me, but I from I remember reading all of this live as it was happening on the day, and I was like, oh fuck, oh it's been cancelled, oh they're still playing, oh blah whatever. And um, this guy apparently has a history of this, so he's organised lots of things in the past under different company names, and then the companies have folded, and then he set up a new company, and that's folded. Uh, so when people saw this being announced, apparently those in the know were like, that's never going to fucking happen. Uh, and then it never did happen, obviously. Um, so yeah. I'd say that guy has probably burned too many bridges at this stage. I don't think anyone is going to invest money in anything he does ever again. But uh, and, and burnt bridges with bands, no doubt as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely burned my bridge because uh, he still owes me uh, probably like, I don't know, like a thousand pounds or something. Yeah. And... <laughs> I send him an email maybe like once a month. Yeah. And still. Oh, even really? This was, <laughs> yeah, even though this was like two years ago now. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you need to hire a third party debt collection company to go and do that for you. <laughs> uh, you know any big guys? Huh? <laughs> yeah. A couple of pool balls in a sock or something like that. Might <laughs> yeah, that's a debt collection company. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but it, it's. it's um, it's a nice contrast with the guy who was booking the death metal show who clearly had the foresight that this was going to happen and left space on his own show because he knew bands would be probably looking for a slot. So that's kind of the two contrasting types of promoters right there. Totally. But I mean, the the rest of the tour was really good. It was, um, what did we do? We did, we did, uh, England. We did a couple, we did a couple of dates in England. We did, uh, we went up to, we did, uh, Edinburgh and Scotland Mm-hmm. Uh, we did Germany. So it was our first time going to Spain. Right. Very good. And uh, and then uh, we did Norway, and it was our first time going to Finland. We played in Helsinki, which the 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 guy in Helsinki, the promoter there, he and I had been in touch with each other for years, trying to figure out when the stars would line up so that Slaufek could play in Helsinki. Yeah. And and it finally lined up, and we got there, and it was a cool venue there was a ton of people the the opening bands were really good and we had a fantastic show and uh one of the interesting things about helsinki was that that was the only club on that tour where the stage lights had not been converted to leds okay well, what does that mean or how does that work um well led lights um they they don't put, they're a little bit intense and they don't put off any heat. Okay. So the temperature on the stage is generally pretty cool. But the way things used to be was when they had these these big incandescent cans that are putting out like 100 watts of light per can. And there's like 40 or 50 cans. And you got 500 watts of, of hot light okay. on the stage, <laughs> you know. And so the whole tour, all the all places we played at was all like these dinky little LEDs. And we get to Helsinki and the stage lights were just like, like being in a stove, <laughs> being like in a hot oven or something. And, but it was great because we hadn't had that in so long. Yeah. It brought back memories. Been, yeah. It's been years since we've been on a stage that was just like, like just burning lights, you know? And not that it's a pleasant experience, but it, um, I think it, it uh, something like that makes us jump up and down a little bit more. It kind of makes us scream and yell a little bit more. Yeah, I think it. Uh, it just you know it just because you have to fight against the heat. Right. You know, if you got an air conditioner blowing on you while you're on stage with these dinky little LED lights, 
then you know it's like yeah okay this is fine this is great you know but if you but if you got 500 watts of hot lamps cooking on you mm. then you have to you have to fight to put on a show i'd say it adds a bit of pressure or it makes it more of a heightened performance uh, as a result yeah yeah that's so. one of the things and it made me realize like wow i haven't i haven't been on stage with hot lights in years so the Finns are obviously mad for heavy metal. Like uh, I think any hard rock or heavy metal album that comes out goes to like top ten in, in Finland, even to this day. Uh, so I'd say the fans there were insane. Oh man, Finland was amazing. I stayed there for an extra two weeks just exploring the country, and it was fantastic. Brilliant, and so much history to the place as well. Is that something oh, you, you're, you're interested in, or? Yeah, I love the history, and I love the uh, the fact that. I was able to basically go all across, not all across the country, but a good section of the country on a bicycle. Right. The bicycle, the bicycle infrastructure is very good there. So it's all tied in with like, um, they have a lot of the bicycle lanes are separated from the highways and the roads. And there's, um, there's even ferry boats that are just for bicycles. <laughs> really? No way. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never been. Because yeah. some of the uh, some of the ferry boats there are really big and have cars and, and semi trucks and everything, and then to some of the smaller islands, they're just for local commuters. So it's like a couple of people on bicycles and and you know somebody's somebody's mother with some groceries. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, That's it's great. It's funny image. Um, okay, so you mentioned obviously some of the places you've been on tour in the last couple of years, but um, obviously you're based in San Francisco. Is there much of a heavy metal scene in San Francisco nowadays? Or like I, I know you used to play the Elba Room. I think that's gone now. But is there much of a scene that's uh, around the place at the moment? Yeah, there's there's still a scene. There's still a scene. There's a lot of good bands coming out of San Francisco. Um, let's see, uh, Hellfire. There's a really good band that's been um, gaining popularity lately. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, there's kind of always been a a good heavy metal um, base in the city, but uh, where we live in San Francisco, and it's still going pretty strong. There's some good bands writing good material. Um, You know, the the gigs are not very um, large or well attended, but it doesn't matter if the music is good. No, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if you got was, if you got twenty people who are really excited to see this band play, and then this band comes on and they play amazing, then that's a good gig. It's true. Yeah, I, I was speaking to um, Jarvis Leatherby from Night Demon there on a, on a recent episode, and uh, he said he's the appeal- everywhere. That guy's everywhere. <laughs> I know he is. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I said he's the busiest man in rock, but. Um, he, uh, he he mentioned copied, the appe- he copied my facial hair by the way he did he has the Fu Manchu going now yeah yeah he, he, does he copied indeed, that yeah. from me <laughs> but I, he mentioned that the appeal of Night Demon was um, worldwide but tight knit I thought that was a really nice way of putting it um, and I'd say Slaufeg are probably similar like you can play a gig in Dublin you can play in Finland the UK obviously in San Francisco uh, Germany and you have your loyal following and it's worldwide but it, it's you know tight knit it's not going to necessarily be in um, big amphitheaters or whatever but yeah, the people who do have, go to, we all have our day jobs the people who do go to see you are obviously big fans like so yeah, uh, yeah. It, that's what makes it continue presumably exactly I mean we're we're uh, very fortunate that we're in a position that we are so that we can go to places and, and play these kinds of shows. We went to Canada last year and we played some really good shows in Canada. And, uh, you know, I was 
thinking, because we didn't know how they were going to go. We had never played the East Coast of Canada, Montreal, Toronto, stuff like that. And so we had, we had never been over there. So we had no idea, like, is this going to be good? Is it going to suck? And it ended up turning out they were really good shows. The, the Canadians were very friendly to us. And, you know, like I said, we're very fortunate that we can go to these places and, uh, and, and not lose money. Because basically all the money we make from our gigs and from our records and from anything, it just goes back into the band. Mm. You know, it just yeah. goes it just goes into things like uh, airplane tickets and, and van rentals and hotel rooms and, you know, food and, and, yeah. and you know, uh, our, uh, our, our band rehearsal space. You know, that's really, you know, at the end of the day, we're really just we're, we're, we're lucky enough to that the band can stay afloat. Yeah. It seems to be the way with with similar types of bands, like uh, putting the money back into the band, meaning that you don't have to then put your own personal uh, income into the band, or maybe you do as well. I don't know. But, uh, uh, at this point, no. the The band pretty much can can pay for itself at this point. So, um, so that's pretty nice. I mean, uh, you know, shit. Just today, I got a rebate from one of the um, one of the tours, one of the shows we were supposed to do in Denmark. Okay. Uh, we're supposed to do the uh, Metal Magic Festival, right, in Denmark, and uh, you know I had paid for that plane ticket maybe back in January, and then everything got canceled. You know the whole thing went to shit, and uh, but today I got the the refund from the um, from the bank from the airplane company, yeah, and yeah. and now I have enough money so that the next time we need to go to Denmark, we have the money. Very nice, yeah. Good, good. Excellent stuff. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, there, there seems to be a bit of an Irish connection running through uh, Sloughfeg albums. Uh, the first Sloughfeg album had an instrumental called Blarney Stone. Obviously, yeah. the co- the comic that the band took its name from was called Slania, which is an Irish word. Yeah. Uh, there's the Hiberno Latin, Latin Invasion song from Atavism. Um, and even songs like Seawolf uh, seem to have a bit of an Irish uh, traditional song kind of vibe to them and then you've got a you did a cover of the horse lip song on Jarek doom as well on hard worlder so is there a particular reason or a particular person in the band who keeps going back to this kind of irish theme or has that just kind of evolved over time or where did it come it's from? a lot of fun man you know we we the, the irish were some of the first um Slavic fans out there you know and uh i think mike just um early on like in the 90s i think mike just had a uh I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call it uh, anything really crazy, but he was he was interested in those kinds of melodies, those kinds of uh, those kinds of rollicking uh, uh, Irish shanties, you know. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, that was good stuff. I mean, and he really liked it. And when I first met him, I was like, oh yeah, this is fun stuff. I've done a little bit of uh, Irish music in the '90s, playing with other people, and um, so it was just something that. You know, it's a lot of fun. There's no real like, there's no real like. Uh, I, I wouldn't say, you know, none of us are Irish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was kind of obviously with your names and stuff. Obviously, I don't think any of you have Irish heritage either. Like, yeah, but, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so that's why I was wondering where it came from. Really, <laughs> that just comes from Mike and his interest in in the genre. Really. Okay. All right. Yeah. Obviously, and a, a strong tin tin Lizzie influence as well throughout. I think throughout oh, the years, of course. Yeah. 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 Of course. I think the first time we went to Ireland, um, we uh, we 
played Black Rose. Mm. Great choice. Black, yeah, that was, um, I don't know, 2004, 2002. I don't really know. Let me see. Uh, 2002. Do you remember the venue you played? Un- unfortunately, I wasn't a fan back then because I'm kind of devastated about that now. Um, I'm looking at, I know we played, we played, where did we play in It was a small place. I don't remember the name. I don't even have any pictures of it. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Not to worry. I just wanted to check in case. Um, I think I have a flyer somewhere. All right. Okay. Yeah, uh, I don't know. You keep on to you hold on to a lot of stuff like that. Um, I do. I've got. Um, I mean, I don't have everything, but you know, I've got a lot of old flyers and T-shirts and stickers and tour itineraries and. Stuff. Okay. Got boxes of that stuff, man. Very good. Um, so uh, another thing I noticed, kind of a, a theme on a couple of albums, was a kind of connection with apes and evolution. So you've got obviously the album Atavism, which is like um, I think it can be defined as like kind of reverse evolution, like things gone backwards or towards the past. And then you obviously a couple of albums yep. later, you have the album Ape Uprising. So uh, right. again, is there any particular theme going on there, or is it again just something? Um, that- have you have you seen Mike Scalzi? <laughs> you know? he's, a, he's a bit of a Neanderthal himself. You know, he's got that sloping forehead and the beady eyes. You know. I keep uh, I keep telling him that in uh, now that you know now that he's you know coming up on being an old man, um, I keep telling him that he should try and get into acting because right. he would he would make a good uh, a villain criminal yeah. yeah you know a henchman you know what I mean Do you I know think, like in a James Bond movie or something he'd be a great bad guy in his old age he kind of strikes me as a bit of a lookalike for Tom Waits. I think he's kind of grown into a bit of a Tom Waits. Uh, It's not the first time anyone said that. No, when when he was over in Dublin after the gig, he he put on a pork pie hat and he walked by me and I went to shake his hand and then uh, I actually ended up nearly making him trip up because because I held on to his his hand. But um, that was He almost tripped up because he only recently started walking on two feet. (laughs) You know? That's why he's got that ape thing going on, you know. But uh, with the, with the hat on, anyway, he reminded me of Tom White's, um, you know. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's that's okay. That's funny, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, uh, so I know I was kind of going to ask you like what's what's in the future for Slowfeg, but you've already kind of covered that. So nothing at the moment. You said you're releasing the compilation, obviously, of those bands uh, that's on your own label. Um, but writing sessions aren't really happening. You were saying so. It's it's yeah, quiet at the moment. You know- We've got uh, we got a lot of communication going on with people in Europe who think that their festival is going to happen in 2021. Yeah, but uh, I don't know, man. You know, they they keep on saying, "Oh yeah, in in July of 2021, there's going to be this big festival in Denmark." Hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like, okay, okay, we'll we'll agree to it. But, you know, if nothing changes, then we're not going to go. And how does that work from your perspective? Just what you were talking about earlier, where you have to book flights and things. Are you, are you just holding off on all of that until it's absolutely necessary? Or how are you managing that? Right. Um, some of the some of the European promoters, um, they uh, they buy the flights for us. They'll book the flights for us. Okay. And so, but I told them, I said, look, I said, if you guys want to book this, that's, you know, that's, that's fine. But like, if... 
if things are still not safe to travel, then we're not going to go. So like, uh, you know, if you want to put our name on your flyer, that's fine. You know, we'll agree to it only on the condition that it's safe to travel and everybody else is doing so. But, I, you know, at this point, I don't really think anything's going to happen in 2021. Mm. You know, we'll, we'll be lucky if uh, the, the summer of 2022, the festival season actually happens. I think that's a little bit more realistic. Yeah, like I, I had um, <clears throat> I had a ticket for Ozzy Osbourne to play in Dublin in 2018. Now that was cancelled or, or postponed for a number of reasons, like his, his health and various things. But I think it's now actually been cancelled or postponed four times or three times. Now they're saying 2022. At one point, I actually just got the refund. I was like, ah, look, <laughs> you know, I don't think this is going to happen. But now, obviously, it's probably due to a combination of his health and coronavirus. But but I've noticed a lot of bands now are just saying, fuck it, 2022. I, yeah. I think that the the opinion of like oh twenty twenty one we'll be back back out in fields in in thousands and thousands of people like just breathing onto each other and spilling beer on each other like it just seems less and less realistic as you said the more the months yeah. go on. Now I want to correct myself. I said the first time we went in Dublin was two thousand and two. It was actually two thousand four. Okay. Because I'm looking at some of the stuff um, uh, right now that I have, but I still don't. I still don't see the flyer. Of, um, I mean, I have pictures of us playing in Dublin, but I, I don't know what the venue was. I mean, I know it's not a super big deal, but that would, yeah, I don't know. Not to worry, sure. Somebody listening will probably be able to tell me afterwards anyway. You know, that's what works on our podcast too. Yeah. When, we're, when we say stuff and we're like, oh, I don't remember what year was it. And then like a couple of days later, we'll get an email from somebody. Yeah. Saying, oh, actually, that was 2005. Yeah. Well, and you fa- guys played at the such and such club, and we're like, oh, great, somebody knows. But you know what? <laughs> Fans have better memories about things, I think, than the actual bands themselves. Like, I'll never forget uh, places and, and times I saw bands and exactly what happened, and sometimes the exact songs they played, because, I don't know, those memories are important to me, but if I was playing like lots of gigs all the time as part of a band, I'm sure uh, they wouldn't be as, as prevalent in my mind um, as they are in, in the mind of a fan. Yeah, I got pictures of this Dublin gig, but I have no idea where it was. I think the one, the place in Belfast we played here at the Rosetta Bar, that was Belfast, we played at the, which is no longer there. The Rosetta Bar is no longer there, and we played with a band called Scavenger and uh, Waylander. Oh, Waylander are still around. I saw them a couple of years ago, actually, or maybe last year, was it? Yeah, I've seen flyers with that. I'd love to play with those guys again. They're great. Yeah, it was is Waylander, Celticore, and some other band who were like kind of traditional folk Irish music mixed with extremely kind of heavy music as well. Um, it was a good show. Indeed, good times. Um, okay, look, I'm I'm gonna probably wrap it up here. So I want to thank you for joining the podcast, and I just wanted to ask: Is there any places that people can contact you online, or anything that you would like to uh, promote? Uh, at this point or just go to slowfake.com you know listen to slowfake radio podcasts if you want um you know be safe you know one of the things that we've been doing uh during the shutdown is uh, my girlfriend been teaching me how to sew and so i'm making masks i saw heavy that metal, yeah heavy heavy metal face masks and uh you know they're 100 cotton with adjustable elastics and everything and I, I keep the prices low because I know that most of the heavy metal people don't have a lot of money. So, um, you know, even if you don't buy a mask from slowfeg.com, just uh, 
please wear a mask wherever you go. Try and keep the, uh, the this terrible disease from spreading and uh, try and be safe and healthy and uh, get to know your neighbor. Excellent. Very good stuff. Okay, thanks very much, Adrian, for joining the show. Uh, and hopefully I'll see you in Dublin again sometime soon. I hope so, man. Let's, uh, let's hope we will definitely be back in Dublin one day. Excellent stuff. Okay, so that was Adrian Maestas of Slaufeg. And to me, that was a thoroughly enjoyable interview to conduct. I love talking about the magic of buying vinyl albums, talking about splitting money between, you know, him and his friends buying an Apam Death album or whatever. Uh, the, the drummer issues where, you know, they had a kind of spinal tap situation where they kept changing drummers. Um, and just, the, you know, the effect that the coronavirus has had on the band, it's unfortunate. But hopefully when we come out of this, the Slaufeg will be reinvigorated and they can release uh, some new material because they're a band that certainly has a lot of juice left in the tank. Um, and I loved when he mentioned dog aliens as well. Like that That's how I've always thought of the figure on the front cover of Traveller as a dog alien. But it was it was quite enjoyable to hear it coming out of his mouth. Um yeah, and generally, I just really enjoyed that chat with Adrian. And if you liked that chat, and if you've liked what you've heard so far on Feckin' Metal, stay tuned, because next week I'm going to have the singer of one of the new wave of traditional heavy metal stalwarts. These guys have been going for about 10 years. Their first album was released in 2015. I've mentioned this band uh, more than once on the podcast, and if you have been listening or if you're a fan of the new wave of traditional heavy metal you will want to listen to the next episode and the episode after that I have somebody lined up as well exactly the same genre exactly the same uh, type of candidate or type of uh, interviewee again I don't like to say who it is because I haven't got the episode recorded but I think I've delivered so far on what I've said so please keep listening to Feckin' Metal if you're enjoying what you're hearing so far a couple of really interesting guests coming up soon uh, Uh, next week and the week after and they are both from new wave of traditional heavy metal bands let's say that have been mentioned on recent episodes of feckin metal so if you like what you hear keep listening thanks very much for your continued support i'm going to leave you with a track from the 2003 album traveler which i discussed with adrian earlier on the show this song is called final gambit now i would recommend that you listen to this album as a whole as it's best appreciated as an entire piece of music rather than in individual tracks but for the uninitiated this is exactly what I would recommend to somebody if I was trying to introduce them to Slaufeg. So this is Final Gambit from Traveller from 2003 and this has been Fergal Trainer from Feckin' Metal so feck off!